Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program, available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. We had told the judge for over two years, for two years, we continuously told him, He's going to do this. He's going to take the kids. We knew he had been planning this for a while. He's conniving. He's very two-faced. He's always looking for that angle to be able to manipulate the situation to his advantage. He's just scum of the earth, if you ask me. It's 3 p.m. on Sunday, January 13th, 2019. Seven-year-old Samuel and his four-year-old brother William have not returned home to their parents following a weekend visitation with their father. The boy's mother, Hong Ying Buckaloo, and her husband Raymond Buckaloo call, email, and text the father incessantly, but he doesn't respond. As the hours slip away, a mother's heart fills with dread, and her worst nightmare becomes a reality. I'm Steve French, and this is Unsolved Mysteries, Two Missing Brothers. On January 12th, 2019, Hong Ying Bakalu drops off her two children at the home of Fong Chin, the children's father, for his weekend visitation. The understanding is that he will return them the next day by 3 o'clock. It was Sunday night, and we were waiting for the boys to get dropped off. It was getting late. It was like 4 o'clock in the afternoon when he was supposed to drop them off. And then it got later and later and later, and of course, we were freaking out, texting, calling, emailing, leaving messages, all this. You know, on that day, I have feeling. I was crying, and uh, I talked to Ray. I said, something wrong. I said, call the cop, do something, because this is not normal, and I have bad feeling for that. It was at 8 o'clock, then we called the cops to come and investigate the situation, and we you know, gave them all their information. They said they were going to go do a drive-by of his residence. They knocked on the door, no answer. So... That was when our hearts sank into our stomachs because we knew what he was doing. We knew he was gone. Hong Ying, who has already suffered through a long and contentious divorce from Fong Chin, fears the worst. 
An emotional plea tonight from a San Diego mother whose kids have been missing for over a month. I know they miss me. I miss them so much. That mother says the boy's disgruntled father took them after an ongoing custody battle. For Hong Ying, her boys are her entire world. Seven-year-old Yu Chin, known as Samuel, is the couple's pride and joy. His four-year-old brother, Bin Yu Chin, known as William, is the cherished baby of the family. They are lovely boys. Samuel is very sweet. He always think about the brother and always think about the mom. And William is very strong. I believe my boy. He's always fighting for something. But he's funny. He's like Ray. The boy's stepfather, Raymond Buckaloo, bonded with the brothers from the first time he met them. I feel like they're my boys. I love those dudes to death. William saw me for the first time. He was sitting there and he was eating a little bag of crackers or whatever. And I sat down and he was kind of just looking at me. And William gets up and he walks over to me and he said, hi. And I said, hi, buddy. And he said, you want a cracker? And he <laughs> handed me one of his crackers. So I thought it was just an adorable kid. And then Samuel, of course, followed up. And was, you know, wanted to know if I play video games. So I sat down on the ground and just started playing toys with the kids. Raymond is great husband. This couple years, he helped me a lot. We have difficult time in the court. So whenever we go to the court, Raymond always there. Throughout a difficult divorce and custody battle with her ex-husband, Hong Ying has relied on Raymond to help navigate a confusing legal system. She brought me to the lawyer's office and they kept saying that they'll look into it or they'll, you know, get back to her or whatnot. And I would just step in and be like, <clears throat> um, when are you getting back to her? We need to get this done now. We need to be done now. This is taking entirely too long. Fong was not happy at all with my introduction. When me and Hung decided that we were going to be a couple, I decided that I was going to make myself known to him because I wanted him to know who he was dealing with. So I walked up to him, introduced myself, shook his hand, and of course, you know, in double-faced fashion, he was like all smiles and, you know, okay, yeah. And I'm like, you know, I want this to go smooth because this is really about the boys. You know, I understand the law and what you are entitled to, but I also understand that those boys need their mom as well as you. It was in the year 2000 that Hong Ying met Fang Chin in Singapore. He appeared to be a polite, well-educated man. He brought her flowers and was courteous to her family. After a brief courtship, they married and moved to the United States. But once they settled into their New Jersey home, Hong Ying started to see a darker side of her husband. Fong quickly establishes a controlling and manipulative relationship with Hong Ying, limiting her contact with family and friends and forcing her to adhere to an extremely frugal lifestyle, despite making good money from property investments. He's the cheapest dude you'd ever, ever meet. I'm talking like no furniture in the house, no TV. They'd have like cardboard boxes for tables and stuff. 
you know, he was very controlling. He wouldn't let her have any money, any cash on her at any time. You know, she had to use a credit card. And he kept her kind of isolated. Isolated meaning like he would keep her busy in the house. For instance, like they had 17 cats. Taking care of 17 cats is easily a full-time job. And he wouldn't teach her English. So Fong is he's conniving. He's very two-faced. He's always looking for that angle to be able to, you know, manipulate the situation to his advantage. He's just scum of the earth, if you ask me. Hong Ying is committed to making her challenging marriage work and eager to start the family she's always wanted. In 2004, the couple moves to San Diego, and Hong Ying hopes that having children will soften Fong's controlling and stingy ways. But the problems don't end. When she had the boys, it would be like little stuff, like she'd go to the store and she'd want some little dollar flip-flops or whatever, you know, and he would just get all upset with her about spending money. So the straw that finally broke the camel's back with her was one day she was buying food for the kids and he got very upset with her about buying some meat or something. He came home and got so mad. He just turned off all her credit cards, all, you know, no money, no credit cards, no nothing. So finally she was just like, this is, this is it. I'm, I'm totally done with you. Hong Ying moves out and takes William and Samuel with her. She must work three jobs to pay for rent, food, and her lawyer fees, and her mother moves in to help her take care of the boys. Then one day at her job as a massage therapist, Hong Ying meets Raymond and they fall immediately in love. When her divorce from Fong is settled, Raymond and Hong Ying get married and look forward to their new life together. But the fight over custody and visitation rights for the children escalates between Fong and Hong Ying. I'm telling you, we struggled, struggled, struggled so many days in court with trying to get visitation. He had them every weekend, and so we weren't able to plan any kind of trips or any kind of anything. The only time we ever got that was if he was busy on the weekends and he decided that he didn't want to have the boys that week that weekend. Over time, Hong Ying and Raymond begin to notice changes in the children following their visits with Fong. Unfortunately, when the boys came home, William would come home in the morning and then Samuel would come home after school. And so when William got home, he was, you know, like disheveled. His clothes were always the old clothes, not clean. He would be extremely hungry because his dad would only give him like maybe some cereal without milk. And sometimes they'd have bruises. Sometimes they'd have cuts and scratches and Samuel had repeatedly told us that if he messed up or whatever, his dad would hit him in the stomach. He would hit him in the stomach so that he wouldn't leave any bruises because we actually took Samuel and William to Child Protective Services about that. Suspecting possible abuse, Raymond and Hong Ying press the courts to restrict Fong's visitation rights. They ask Child Protective Services to investigate whether Fong is neglecting the children's basic needs. When the Child Protective Services came to look at the house, he had the whole apartment set up and ready for them to come and take pictures. And he had toys and he had all this stuff. And, you know, he had a TV and he had all the amenities you would normally think a house would have. And so we showed Samuel those pictures and Samuel said he didn't have none of that stuff. 
During this time, Fong makes frequent trips across the border from San Diego to Tijuana, where he owns an apartment and several businesses. The courts have made it clear that Fong is not allowed to bring the children across the border during his visitation days. However, Raymond and Hong Ying soon learn that he's doing just that. We ended up hiring a private investigator to follow him to Tijuana, to his address in Tijuana, which Hong Ying had lived there, so she knows where he was at. And so we had to force him to tell the court that he was doing that. Then the court just kind of slapped him on his hand and they reduced his visitation to every other weekend and then he had to have supervision. But it was only for a month. Without full custody, Hong Ying is unable to prevent her boys from spending weekends alone with Fong, which leads her to worry that Fong will eventually steal her children. One incident four months before the boy's disappearance is especially alarming. It was picture day. And Hong Ying was volunteering at the school. She was, you know, volunteered to help with the picture day to organize the kids and, you know, help however she could. So Samuel's class shows up. And so they're taking pictures and stuff. And she noticed Samuel wasn't there. So she asked the teacher, hey, uh, where's Samuel? Teacher said, oh, the father came and picked him up. And what? He what? He didn't have permission to do that. He didn't ask anybody about doing that. He just did it. So we're freaking out. We're calling him, texting him, emailing him. We're trying to figure out what's going on. It was just the scariest time because we thought this was his move. He was going to abduct Samuel. And so finally he shows up and he's at the front door. And I'm asking him, I'm like, well, where were you? What happened? He goes, oh, uh, Samuel had a doctor's appointment. I said, for what? He goes, he has the flu. I said, no, he does not have the flu. He goes, yes, he does. I'm like, oh yeah, really? I said, let me see the doctor's note. Let me see the prescriptions. Let me see any kind of paperwork stating that you were actually at a doctor's office. And he's like, no, I'm not going to show you that. Once he's safely back home, young Samuel reveals to his mother and Raymond where Fong took him that day. We asked him, Where'd you go? What were you doing when your dad took you from school? And he said he went down to TJ and got his picture taken. And so we knew right there. And he had even said that there was something about a passport. Oh, man, we were just freaking out. So, we, of course, we took that to the courts. We took that to our lawyer, let them all know. And nobody did nothing. The most frustrating thing about the whole situation was that we had told the judge for over two years, for two years, we continuously told him he's going to do this. He's going to take the kids. Sunday, January 13th, 2019 is etched in Hong Ying's memory. It's the day she learned her two boys might be lost forever, snatched by Feng Chin during his routine weekend visitation. When the boys and their father don't show up at the agreed upon time, Hong Ying immediately springs into action and heads to Fong's apartment. I was crying. I told Ray, I said, I can't wait here. I need to go down to check he's there. And I was there, nobody there. I knocking the door, asked the neighbor. They say, two days ago, they saw them. But um, yesterday, they don't see him. So I know he's gone. Doing the divorce, he hate me so much. 
and he know the boy is everything for me. So he won't hurt me. He using the boy to hurt me. Hong Ying and Raymond go to the police, who quickly issue a felony arrest warrant for Feng Chin. They also conduct a search of his apartment. The apartment was completely empty. All there was was a bag and a box. And the bag was all their clothes and everything they had on them that day that we dropped them off. And a box of their you know, stuff that we had given them. Anything identifying the boys that he, he took off of them you know, and put in the box and left it there. We called everybody we could think of, emailed, text, everybody we could think of that had involvements with Fong, his friends, people that Hung Ying knew that they were friends with in Tijuana or in Imperial Beach. We were, I would say, probably at least a straight week steady trying to get a hold of people and trying to get a, just any kind of information we possibly could. He sold all his assets. He didn't live in America. And so many years ago, he had threatened Hung Ying if he ever left her that he could take the boys and disappear and never be seen again. With Fang Chin now suspected of parental abduction, the court grants Hong Ying full custody of the children. It's cold comfort to the mom who has no idea where her boys could be or what happened to them. Knowing that Fong owns several small businesses in Tijuana, Hong Ying and Raymond fear that Samuel and William have been taken across the U.S.-Mexico border, beyond the reach of American authorities. The U.S. government assures Hong Ying that everything is being done to find and return her children, but several months go by with no answers. My name is Bill Garcia, and I am the owner of Bill Garcia Investigative Services. And a large part of our business goes to recovering missing and abducted children. In this particular case, we didn't get involved until seven months after the children were taken. The family had a lot of trust and belief in the agencies involved at the time. But as time went by, they noticed that they were getting less and less calls from the U.S. Marshals, the abduction unit, and asked for us to get involved. Bill starts his investigation by retracing Fong's steps before the abduction. He puts together the pieces of the meticulous plan to abduct the boys. It turns out Fong stole a large sum of money from his former employer in Tijuana, money that would help him hide out south of the border. I don't know how long the plan would have been. Maybe he had this in the back of his mind already, but it's got to be more elaborate than just taking the boys and going without having a plan because he'd be found, or at least people would have seen you. He's a creature of habits and he likes to do certain things. Everything needs to be free, as as free as you can get, food, internet, lodging. But when you have a large amount of money, depending on how much of that you actually have with you, you can pretty much do anything south of the border. Bill realizes his only chance of tracking down his target and recovering the boys is to head south to the Baja California region of Mexico, a long peninsula on the west coast of the country. We came up with a plan, which was contacting of Fong's friends in the Tijuana area. They were all evasive to me and Mexican law enforcement. I started to canvas Baja, particularly looking for areas that Fong and the children might be in. 
Fong had lived there, had an apartment there that he owned, had friends, had two or three businesses that he operated between Mexico and, and other countries like China. So after some intelligence, we understood that Fong and the kids were most likely somewhere in Baja in a touristy or campground type setting until the heat cooled off. There's a lot of both developed and undeveloped campgrounds and fishing areas between Tijuana and the end of the peninsula. The thought process was to look like a tourist, go to these campgrounds, maybe confide in one or two persons that I could develop a relationship along the way with, and on the return trip, follow up on those same locations and try to follow leads of this single adult and two boys traveling. The interesting thing is I wasn't getting any any leads at all, no leads of, of an adult Asian male with two boys. And we had so many pictures and we, you know, we had the ability to show folks what they looked like and you know, left phone numbers and, and all that and did the whole what they call Gold Coast and then the Pacific side and then came back and retraced our steps. And I mean, there was absolutely no sightings. Bill crisscrosses the Baja Peninsula in his search, but comes up empty. He's ready to move on when a strange encounter suggests he may be getting closer to Fong and the children than he realized. At the end of day four, I rolled into uh, Loreto, which is on the Sea of Cortez, checked into my hotel, same one I've been using for years and years. Around midnight, I had a harsh knock at the door, and it was the receptionist from the hotel office. I get up, and she says, there's a federal police officer on the phone that wants to talk to you. So I got a phone call. The gentleman initially uh, indicated he was a federal police officer with the Mexican Naval Federal Police or something to that effect, and that they had done an intervention on a drug smuggling effort and that some of the people had gotten away and this officer was saying that I was involved and not to leave my room. This went on from 12.15 a.m. till 7.30 in the morning where they kept me on the telephone. At some point, they did tell me who they were and they actually indicated they were a cartel and they told me very harshly in Spanish what they would do to me if I didn't cooperate. And that's probably the most scared that I've ever been. Shopping can be a lot of fun, right? But you know what else is fun? Saving money. And Rakuten is the smartest way to save money when you shop. Get cash back at over 3,500 stores across every single category, including fashion, beauty, electronics, home essentials, travel, dining, and so much more. You're already shopping at your favorite stores, so why not be saving while you're doing it? It's a no-brainer. Shop brands like Macy's, Blue Mercury, Petco, Nike, Urban Outfitters, Neiman Marcus, and so much more. Here's how it works. The stores pay Rakuten a commission for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the commission with its members. You get paid via check or PayPal quarterly. Maximize your savings by stacking cash back on top of other deals like store sales and coupons. Rakuten has 17 million members who are already saving. Why not join them? Membership is free and it's easy to sign up. Cashback rates change daily. Start all your shopping at Rakuten.com or get the Rakuten app and start saving today. Your cashback really adds up with Rakuten. 
R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Hey, Unsolved Mysteries listeners. I'm here to tell you that there's no reason to panic the next time you're searching for the perfect gift. Now you can use Gift Mode on Etsy. Gift Mode on Etsy takes the stress out of gifting, so you can find the perfect item for anyone and any occasion. It's easy. Just tap or click Gift Mode on your Etsy app or Etsy.com. Then answer a few short questions about who you're shopping for and what they like. And Gift Mode instantly gives you curated gift ideas based on hundreds of personas. There's a lot of pressure around gifting. I usually have a hard time thinking of gift ideas for family members, and sometimes I get super stressed trying to find the perfect thing. But now with Gift Mode on Etsy, I can search hundreds of gifting personas and find so many incredible items. And I actually just found the perfect gift for my fitness fanatic sister. Now it's simple to find gifts made by independent sellers for all the people in your life. So whether you need a housewarming gift for the new homeowner or a birthday present for the pickleballer, Gift Mode has you covered. Need to find the perfect gift? Don't panic. Try Gift Mode on Etsy now. Caught in the crosshairs of a Mexican cartel, seasoned investigator Bill Garcia fears for his life. He knows that if Fong is involved with ruthless drug dealers, Hong Ying's children could also be in danger. The types of things that he conducted himself with, with the import and export of lumber and, and other items between Mexico and China and Singapore, the cartel has their hands in all of this. So I wouldn't put it against him that that was not the case because Fong actually has contacts in Mexicali, which is the state capital of Northern Baja. And there's a lot of the mainland cartel activity that happens through that point. After his encounter with the cartel, Bill heads north, still on the lookout. But there's no sign of Fong or the children. In the 28-odd years that I've been doing this, when we go looking for someone that's missing or abducted, there's always a lead. Whether it's false or not, there's always a lead. It was very depressing on that flight back from La Paz. Tried to gather my thoughts as to what next. Met with family a day after I returned. It was very depressing because I didn't have anything good to say. There's not even one sighting. And that's extremely unusual. Hong Ying and Raymond Buckaloo had already braced themselves for bad news. Well, obviously, we were extremely saddened and disappointed, but understood it was kind of a, you know, a long shot. We knew he had been planning this for a while. And, you know, if you've got means and money, you pretty much disappear in Mexico. Bill Garcia remains on the case. But the U.S. Marshal Service within the Department of Justice has official jurisdiction and the resources to follow up on any new leads in the search for the missing brothers. So the U.S. Marshals, we talk to them every week. The marshal that's been on our case the entire time, he feels very dedicated to try and solving this case. He's told us that they flagged their passports. They've sent out flyers. They've put out a thing on Telemundo. but. I make sure that me and Hung Ying talk to him at least weekly just to keep it fresh in their mind to make sure that, because I know the squeaky wheel gets the oil, so. The marshal is very adamant about finding the boys. He's got children similar ages, and he's very adamant. They're very successful. That's, that's another thing. 
U.S. Marshals is extremely successful. They have the most resources of any agency in our country, and they can't find Fung. So they're either hiding extremely well, or they have found a way to get out of that country. I don't believe that's easily possible, just given the level of determination that these agencies have down there, and given the fact that they have not been seen They haven't been able to leave the country, and we know that from both U.S. and Mexican government authorities. The problem here is when you have a lot of money, you can very easily sneak your children or yourself onto a freighter, especially when he was involved in moving lumber and large amounts of other products by ship to China, to Singapore. But there's been no indication that they popped up in these countries. It's been almost two years. And the fact that they haven't been seen, the fact that nothing has changed is very, very odd to me. For Raymond and Hung Ying, not a day goes by that they don't fear for their boy's safety and pray for their return. The house is very quiet. It's very somber. There are days that me and Hung Ying just go sit in the boy's room. We're very stressed about the boys' well-being due to the fact that we know that Fung does hit them and he does get angry with them and he does not know how to control himself. I just want my boys, I hope my boys safe. I hope my boys healthy. If I could talk to my boys, I will say, Samuel, I love you. You are my best boy in my life. William, I love you. You are my sweet boy in my life. I love you guys. Yu Chin, also known as Samuel, is now nine years old. Bin Yu Chin, also known as William, is now six years old. Both boys are Chinese with brown hair and brown eyes. They're fluent in English and Chinese. Samuel knows some Spanish, though both may be fluent in Spanish by now. Their father, Fong Chin, is 47 years old, 5 feet 8 inches, and about 130 pounds. He wears glasses and he is fluent in Chinese, English, and Spanish. To see photos of William, Samuel, and Fong Chin, go to unsolved.com. If you believe you have seen Fong, Samuel, or William, or have any information about their whereabouts, Contact the National Center for Missing and Exploited Children at 1-800-THE-LOST or submit a tip at missingkids.org. You can also contact the U.S. Marshals at 1-877-WANTED-2 or submit a tip online at www.usmarshals.gov tips or you can submit a tip at unsolved.com. Next on Unsolved Mysteries. There was a certain uneasiness about the house once I got settled into the house. I always felt like I was being watched. Even to this day, I still feel like I'm being watched with everything that I do. Unsolved Mysteries is a production of Cosgrove Muir Productions and Cadence 13. It is executive produced by Terry Dunmuir and Chris Corcoran. Produced by Lloyd Lockridge, Christine Lennig, Courtney Ennis, and Paige Heimson. The story producer for this episode was Caitlin Cutt, and it was edited by Ryan Dan. From Cadence 13, Editing, mixing, and mastering by Chris Basil, Andy Jaskowitz, and Bill Schultz. Production support by Sean Cherry and Ian Mont. 
Artwork and design is by Kirk Courtney. Publicity by Josephina Francis and Hilary Schuff. The original theme music was composed by Gary Malkin and Michael Boyd. Thanks for listening to episode 13 of Unsolved Mysteries. Unsolved Mysteries.